0: Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good, live from Iowa Catholic Radio's Mercy Live Up Studios.
1: Common Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner.
2: Dr. Bud Marr.
1: And we are coming to you live from all across these United States of America. I am here in Des Moines, Iowa, sitting in Iowa Catholic Radio's Mercy live up studio um where bud there's something new every every day. We have a mute button now like a cough button, so oh, now okay. if I want to like say something about you but don't want the nation to hear, I can hit the button
2: hold on so <laughs> the the nation could not hear, but I could, or I wouldn't hear either. No,
1: no, no one would hear it. Right. Okay. On that and just it would be a secret between me and here, everyone in Mercy Live Up Studio here in Iowa Catholic Radio, where I am uh, the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the Director of the Zeta Institute for Foundation and Ethics and Leaderships. So you can find us at mchs.edu and zetainstitute.com. Bud, where are you at that lacks a mute button?
2: <laughs> I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. At the National Institute for Newman Studies, our website is newmanstudies.org.
1: You need to start like pointing that out, right, making uh, making people jealous in a holy way, uh, so that they'll be like, you know, maybe we need a mute button. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <I've>... <laughs> there uh,
2: i feel like there needs to be more mute buttons in our country
1: <laughs> that's right we're going to have an entire show talking yeah. about how what this world needs to to get past the impasse of the interlocking uh, great divisions in our nation it's just more mute buttons so when you think you have something that might make uh, your uh, fellow interlocker mad just hit the mute button and give it a few seconds
2: <laughs> yeah i think last night Rachel and I were wanting a, a mute button at home but
1: ah, wait I guess- I I know this will embarrass Rachel, but like, uh, we need to point out that Bud is now, you're married to, um, TV celebrity now. Cause she- <laughs> yeah, it was,
2: it was, it was hilarious. So, um, I don't know, last Thursday, uh, here, the big news story in Pittsburgh was that Antonio Brown, the wide receiver for the Steelers was, uh, ticketed for traveling 100 miles per hour on a city street. It would have been similar to like Douglas and Douglas road and, uh, in des moines mm-hmm. but rachel was coming out of out of a grocery store and a reporter just kind of surprised her and said like what do you think about antonio brown traveling at these um, breakneck speeds and um unfortunately i can't I, I can't hunt down the video a friend of mine sent me a photo of her on on the news but i can't get the video
1: yeah that, i would it would have been funny like You know, Rachel told you, she's like, yeah, I told him that I can't believe he's driving that fast, but actually the the news report, Rachel's like, that's so awesome, 100 miles an hour on a road? That must be an awesome car. That's right. I think the phrase she
2: used was disconcerting, so I feel like Rachel's raised the level of intellectual (laughs) engagement here in the
1: United States. That's fantastic. Well, if you need to print words that Rachel Marr says that you don't understand, so you can look them up later at the dictionary, you need to go to one of our sponsors, Cartridge World. Cartridge World, where at 80173rd Street at Windsor Heights, you can get printing cartridges for much less than anywhere else and print out words like disconcerting, discombobulated, or whatever other brilliant uh, rhetorical topics Rachel Mar might use in order to describe Pittsburgh's dealers breaking the law.
2: It's also Christmas card season. I feel like there's a lot of printing around yeah. the celebration of our Lord's birth.
1: So, uh, And then, um, if uh, one of the Pittsburgh Steelers... Happens to um, injure someone in their shenanigans. If you've gone to our other underwriter, Mercy College of Health Sciences, you might be able to help them. Mercy College of Health Sciences, mchs.edu. We're wrapping up uh, the year uh, because Thanksgiving is coming nigh. Uh, we're not quite done, but midterms start to be uh, in the rearview mirror. Um, people uh, getting through with their servant learning projects with the, t- the classes we teach. Um, you can still start in spring, plenty of time to sign up. You can start spring, summer, uh, and fall. That's mchs.edu.
2: Yeah, I think that's funny how you put it. If, if a Steeler happens to injure someone with their reckless behavior, I thought you were going to say, like, get injured on the football field. Well, that's true, but, too. But, you know, like, yeah.
1: that, that's down the road. I don't think we have sports medicine yet. That might be down the road. We have um, uh, physical therapy assistant, So you can start out there. Then eventually, you know, you help Antonio Brown when he gets injured driving too fast. And then the Steelers hi- hire you. And then, boom. You're there on Sunday nights on the Gridiron. There you go. Um, So, Bud, who do we have on today? Um, If if I'm reading right, this gentleman might not uh, be as up on all of our American football references, so that's why I'm getting them all out here in the open.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, our guest, I'm really excited about this one, Dr. Ryan Topping. And um, he he earned his doctorate from from Oxford, but he's now the academic dean at Newman Theological College in Edmonton, He's written a really good book on rebuilding Catholic culture, which of course is um, closely related to what we talk about on the show, but he's now publishing a two-volume treatment uh, about the gift of the church, and what he does in this first one that's been released is goes through like these gifts that the church has given the world. Um, so yeah, how, how the Catholic Church transformed history and the soul of the West, I think it's going to be great.
1: So he's on today so uh, is he Canadian, British or America, and he's just been to all three places
2: you know what i'm reading like uh his 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 story at the beginning of this book i gather american okay uh no, no 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 as a protestant growing up in saskatchewan
1: ah canadian so we have to like bring up like the roughnecks or whatever the canadian football teams are if we're going to keep right. those with yeah. Darius bowman is. oklahoma state he's 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 doing really good in the canadian football league okay sorry keep going
2: yeah, no, Canadian, but he studied in, in England and has lived in the United States, so it's going to be an amalgamation of cultures.
1: That's great. He'll, uh, it, we're, we're looking forward to it. Like you said, not only he uh, becomes highly recommended by Bud and Bud's friends and all these, uh, the, these books, he's written several, um, but the topic seems very germane to everything that's going on, so this is The Uncommon Good. Stick around. We'll be back after this. There we go. I thought Bud was going to have to like make an eagle screech. <laughs> uh so, Bud, if people want to ask about um the gifts of the church that Dr. Topping is going to bring up, if there's anything they want to uh ask we we've had people talk uh give us suggestions uh through the zip whip line. Uh-oh. The computers are all fine. There you go. <laughs> 515-223-1150. That's 515-223-1150. That's five one five two two three eleven fifty. Like I said, we've had people uh, give recommendations. We've had people make sure that we ask questions. And so if you have them in mind, just always remember five one five two two three eleven fifty. the Zip Whip line, hashtag UCG. Uh, this is The Uncommon Good. And like I said, we'll be back after these messages. If you have anything you want us to ask Dr. Ryan Topping, just remember five one five 1150 We'll be back after this.
0: Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not here, Blessman International leads teams of Central Islands on 12-day, all-inclusive experiences filled with life-changing personal interaction with the beautiful African children that we serve. Teams are forming now for 2019. Space is limited, so make a decision today to use your time to do something significant in the life of an African child. Learn more and apply for a trip today at www.manna. Gary Dolphin. Awesome interview. That was fun. That was great. I didn't know he was Catholic. I didn't know he was I didn't Much know he's less Catholic. Much really yeah, faithful. And he knows and what he was doing. Any parting thoughts on the greatest generation? You know, I was thinking as we were talking to Mr. Dolphin, we really have a responsibility to to learn from the example of of those who have gone before us there's so much to be learned from that generation especially in today's world do you know what time it is it's time to man up with joe stopulus and father zach kotsky monday mornings at nine our realty is letting others see jesus christ at work through uplifting programs like man up here on iowa catholic radio
1: support for the uncommon good is provided by cartridge world cartridge world is an industry leader delivering high performance printing products that help you save time money and print great
2: Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and delivery are available. Products are guaranteed
1: or full replacement. Cartridge World, your low-cost, environmentally friendly printing experts. 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400 and online at cartridgeworld.com.
0: Vitae Family Care is part of the Iowa Catholic Radio family. Pro-life physician Greg McKernan, a D.O., has practiced for 27 years seeing patients of all ages with just about every kind of need. Dr. McKernan lives his faith as a physician and is trained in NAPRO technology, allowing him to diagnose and treat many female conditions and even markedly reduce the occurrence of a miscarriage. VitaeFamilyCare.com Remember, Vitae is Latin for life. Back with the Uncommon
1: Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Bud, take it away. Introduce our guest, please.
2: Uh, our guest this morning, we're very happy to have on air, Dr. Ryan Topping. He heard, he uh, earned his doctorate in theology from the University of Oxford, and is now academic dean at Newman Theological College in Edmonton. He's published several, several books, including uh, "Rebuilding Catholic Culture," which was really helpful in my own um, journey and growth. But has recently published. The Gift of the Church, uh, How the Catholic Church Transformed the History and Solved the West, which is the first part of a two-volume series he's releasing. Dr. Topping, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So we were sorting this out beforehand. You, you're, you're Canadian in background, right?
3: That's it. And foreground.
2: <laughs> and foreground. Wonderful. So it must be nice to be back uh, home teaching there at a Newman Theological College in Edmonton. um, It is, yes. It is. Thank you. Looking at your book, so Bo and I are, um, we're converts to the Catholic faith as well, and uh, the Mm. the book looks at um, the gifts of the Church and these various gifts that the Catholic Church has given to our culture and civilization. Could you talk, I was really fascinated in that opening part, about how um, exposure to Catholic culture influenced your journey into the Church.
3: Hmm. Okay, thank you. I will. You know, very very few people come to the faith only through books, even though you need them. And uh, for my wife and I, we grew up Mennonite in in Canada, and so had a, a reasonably pious upbringing. Had a love for for Christ, and uh, we studied. Well, I studied philosophy through college, and at some point we decided that. Uh, well, we lived in a. We started a commune. In fact, lived with them for. Uh, a couple of years, a wonderful project. We prayed the liturgy of the hours together, and we, you know, we had service and outreach and things like this. And and I was pastoring at the time. We're beginning to pastor. And at the end of that experience, we we came to feel there were too many contradictions within the Protestant system. And you know, they're easy enough to name if you're if you spend time thinking about those, or if you're uh, if you're one over already. That is as a convert. Uh, so at, and at that point we thought, well, either we go deeper or we go or we uh, wander away. So either either it's atheism or we thought we've got to find a form of Christianity that that answers to these ancient texts and and can and can really form civilization. And so we thought it was either orthodoxy or Catholicism. And uh, eventually the Lord brought us into the church.
1: Uh, Dr. Topping, first of all, again, thank you for joining our show. Um, one of the things that I find very interesting, um, so you have the the book that's out now that really talks about the gifts that the church bestows on people. A lot of your early books um, deal exactly with uh, education, mm-hmm. Catholic education. You even have a book on rhetoric, mm-hmm. which already makes... You, one of my favorite people, because uh, there's not enough of uh, people doing a good job about that. Um, I, mm. I think it's interesting because sometimes people hear, okay, well, you know, you're a bookish convert. You read books. You came to the mm. faith. I, I think about, like I said, my own life or buds. Um, but it wasn't just mm. so much books, right? It wasn't that, like, I was reading right, Reader's digest and <laughs> accidentally read John Henry Newman and then became, you know, Catholic. Mm. But this idea mm-hmm. that central to Christianity is something about... Um, Education and not in the sort of john Dewey modern uh, democratic mm-hmm. key, but there 's this idea that that God himself has even ordered the world with a pedagogy right that even mm. even history and creation um, is a mm-hmm. way for us to come to understand things that we don 't know before uh, the, so i 'm I'm, I'm throwing out this huge concept here, but do you think this sort of um, undergirds a lot of what you 're trying to do with the book right that the church Keeps giving gifts because the church is a mother, but then also um, a, a teacher in a way that maybe some other religions don't understand uh, their insti- mm. institution. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, well, you've you've said a lot of things beautifully, um, and, and I I think what you're saying is is correct. Newman has this lovely phrase where he says, "To be deep into history is to cease to be Protestant," and what he's getting at there is. Is that within the Catholic system, the incarnational pr- principle goes all the way through. So, if the Eucharist is the extension of Christ's presence through time, culture is the medium through which that presence is transmitted to us in our daily lives. Uh, so, uh, yes, I think what you're saying is correct. You you can't just be a Christian because out of because of ideas, and nor is it merely experiences or pretty art that that will lead you to Christ there's uh, uh but God has seen it in his providence to draw both of them together so in other words the the concept of the logos is such that the word of god the divine reason the the rationality of the universe is in some way imminent and present in all things even though it's even though the the word was made flesh in Jesus Christ and and so there's a concentration in the in the in the man the divine man god man Jesus Still, the, the intelligibility of the universe is such that it, it leads us to God wherever you start. So start with biology, start with uh, zoology, physics, mathematics. Well, you go far enough and you're going to be led to the first cause. Uh, similarly in the realm of psychology, so thinking about <clears throat> the structure of human intelligence and even the patterns of, you know, if you study anthropology, patterns of, uh, of human societies, well uh, sooner or later, and it's actually usually sooner than later, it's it It becomes difficult, if not impossible, to account for man this this strange creature in the vast cosmos, without reference to an intelligible creator so yeah, I think you 're right there's there 's really no way to the faith except through the world, uh, the world that God made us, which is a is a hook that draws us in
1: well and i you you were talking about growing up um, Mennonite, I grew up um Southern Baptist in Oklahoma, but sort of, like, not fundamentalist, mm. just more, like, old-timey um, low church. Okay. And one of the things that's interesting, right, is a, an easy interpretation of, like, well, why you or me or people like Bud, who has, I think, a similar background, is, like, well, you guys were just missing all the pretty churches or um, the poetry mm. or the high church or the liturgy. And I'm, like, all of mm. that in some ways is true enough, right, I'm fa- being fascinated by all those things. But actually what I think it was is I have a lot um, – to praise about my upbringing, about the mm-hmm. sort of way in which being that type of Christian was interwoven in so much of my life. Mm. And I think what happens mm-hmm. is when you, so to speak, get high enough up the chain, what I mean is like, mm-hmm. so you, you do find yourself being someone who likes philosophy and theology or literature, and it's, okay. it's at that moment where all of a sudden there's a disconnect and, and what they're sort of officially saying just doesn 't mm. seem to fit it in, in hindsight i 'd say it just seemed too modern and I look at you know my mm. my family 's life and they they seem much more like and I say this positively medieval peasants mm-hmm. who have this sort of like you know mm. um, yeah. deep embodied faith, but it 's actually mm-hmm. the the talkers that to me s- start sounding like incredibly modern and start losing their mooring so funny enough i i, mm. I, I think it 's not just that I was like, ooh, pretty churches it was like how do I make an account of, uh, you know, my parents' faith? Mm. Yeah, and, I, and, it, and it was driven to, like you said, these gifts of the church.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, very, very nice. Well Dr. Said. Topping, um, with uh, the, the book starting off, there was a phrase that jumped out to me in Chapter 1 where um, you say the church's first gift to the world was helping to mm-hmm. clarify a universal longing and I think this will be really mm-hmm. good for our listeners to to have you unpack some of this. Where, I mean, the quote at the beginning is really kind of arresting. All uh, Homer says for all men need gods, and we live in a world mm-hmm. today where some people say like, no, we don't. And if we yeah. bracket belief in God, uh, we can actually build the world that we all desire. and um, what ways? Oh, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be sweet?
1: <laughs>
2: in what ways is that a false hope? Like, and I think you point to some examples late in the book that show, you know the the danger that can accompany that mindset.
3: Yeah, well, you could start off with 100 million dead uh, plus in the 20th century because of utopian atheistic regimes. But but anyways, we let's start with the the past. Uh, yes, all men Homer does say this, all men need, desire the gods. Um, well, in the ancient the the argument in the first chapter that I'm that I'm trying to trying to develop is that not only did the Jews cultivate an expectation for a divine messiah, a redeemer. But this same sort of longing and, and hope is embedded and implanted within the structures and philosophical systems and religious expressions of ancient uh, ancient uh, paganism in, in various forms and in different, different places. So this is a universal aspiration. Um, <coughs> pardon me. One of these, one of the ways, so there are prophecies, so you could you know, in, the, in the most obvious sense, you do have the sibyls and these these various oracles that yeah. that um, that that talk about the need for a, a coming savior that will bring peace in the, in the world so you do have you do have that, but uh, perhaps even more fundamentally or profoundly, you have this sense this longing this universal appetite for for not only immortality mm. but immortality with justice now one of the one of the beauties that uh, that the church has given to the West is that it was—it's it's the great reconciler. Catholic is means universal in this, in the sense that it, it draws everything that's good into itself and claims it as her own. Uh, so in the in the la- in the Western Church, in particular, what she de- what she's able to do is draw the, together the fruits of of Judaism. So there you get a, a desire, a, a love for the law, a love for righteousness that is brought to a feverish. Pitch in a way that no other nation knew. I will call you a holy nation," says the Lord. And and the history of the Jews is a history of God pounding, uh, as a as a as a carpenter would, into a stubborn piece of lumber, pounding the the idea and the experience of a love for justice into this one people, that they might be a shining example for the rest. So you've got the Jews, and the, and the church draws in that inheritance. And then, but then you also have. You have Athens, so you have a desire for uh, for contemplation and, and, a, and a rational understanding of things. We live in a cosmos, not a chaos. The Greek philosophers said, and they could demonstrate it in, in all kinds of ways. And, bec- and the, one of the fruits of that long demonstration is mathematics and physics. You know, the reason why airplanes float mm. is because of this magic fairy dust where there's a correspondence between numbers on the page and our movements in the sky. So the Church draws together the, the philosophical inheritance, and then she also draws together the, the, uh, the fruits of, of Roman civilization, so of, of law and of order. So I hope I'm not straying too far from what you were
2: uh, getting no, at. Oh, that's but, great. Yeah.
3: But ba- basically what, what the Church uniquely, and, and, and we have to emphasize this, we, we, get used to, um, we get used to seeing these fruits around us as though they were just natural. They're not natural. It's only because Catholicism was able to draw together, particularly these threads, that we get such a thing as the West. And if we don't remember it, if we don't nurture it, if we don't defend it, she'll be gone.
2: Yeah, that reminds me. There's um, there's an author you're probably familiar with, David Bentley Hart, where he says, you know, like, um, in our own time, there's these things that we take for granted about human dignity and sort of care mm-hmm. for the vulnerable that um, mm-hmm. that we assume are just sort of like natural instincts, but historically... That's not the case they are not slavery yeah. is the
3: default position uh, in in human civilization you know so now and again you you, you have people uh, well now and again it's quite, it's quite frequently these days yeah. <clears throat> uh, moaning about the church's uh, missionaries in, in particular missionaries' treatment of indigenous peoples and and you know the missionary movement to the churches from one point of view two thousand years on this continent to about four hundred or five hundred um, you know so f- well of course you've got Vast domains of time and all kinds of actors. Yes, there are many things that that uh, were done that were done poorly. There's, there's no doubt about it. That's that's obvious. But uh, nonetheless, the plain fact is that it's only because of Christianity that that slavery this this term servos that's the the Latin for a slave. Well, by the time you get to about 1100, you can't translate that as a slave any longer. It's it's more like a serf. So a a, a kind of peasant with Obligations, but also, um, but also uh, rights that that bind them to a to a, a lord, so that slavery is functionally disbanded or dismantled by you know after the first millennium. And then in the New World again, there's another fight because you you uh, you have a new context, new peoples, but but again, but again, it's because of Christianity and only because of Christianity that slavery is eventually um, outlawed.
1: I think that one thing that sometimes it's hard for people um to to do beyond the fact that like history is hard um, to mm-hmm. to understand in its fullness um, that mm-hmm. that we erect all sorts of barriers to sort of understanding um, people from uh the, the the that strange country the past right that that they really mm-hmm. do have customs that are different than ours, and it 's not just people like us uh, just you know about six hundred years ago. Um, it's also hard mm-hmm. for people to understand um, threads in history that don't look like the Whig interpretation. And for people listening on the radio, what mm-hmm. I mean is there's this idea, the dominant interpretation about how you can thread all of history together, is it's just this one long march of progress, and that basically mm-hmm. anybody good in the past was just laying the groundwork you know, for me to be able to go get a burrito at Taco Bell and then shop at the mall like I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, <laughs> freedom. Um, And so, you know, there's two movements that I think books like yours do for people. And one is, sure, bring up um, aspects of the past that maybe they're not familiar with. uh, But breaking Mm -hmm. down, like, the Whig interpretation without acting like history doesn't have cohesion. When you were writing Mm -hmm. your book, did you find that that was something either you had to... Um, keep in mind, or that you were butting against when when people have read the book or you've taught students, is that sort of uh, something that you find that uh, there there's work we have to do for people to have that sort of historical imagination.
3: Hmm. Boy, this, this is a great question. Well, uh, I'll answer in two parts. Part one: the, the principal two reasons why I wrote the book. One, I mean, what what a joy, what a pleasure to be able to spend time and write. You know, I'm such a blessed. Human being, have a good family, you know, uh, stable, <clears throat> stable health for the most part, and, and kids that are uh, sometimes good. <laughs> uh, you know, so it, it is a real p- privilege and, and joy, and you know, cultivating the intellectual life. Uh, it, it is. Um, I was just this is a side note, but I was just on a with a, a conference with um, uh, a lot of priests, and you know, one one of the. One of the takeaway one of the things that people like yourselves and, and all of us who are in the world of teaching need to emphasize within the church is you know, the, the intellect is ordered to truth. not all of us are scholarly I mean thank God uh, <laughs> you know, whatever your vocation, whatever you're doing nonetheless your your intellect is your highest power, your highest faculty and it's ordered to truth so whatever we do we, we need to be invested in a program of uh, personal sanctification and personal uh, intellectual renewal. You know, that's that's just the program for all of us. You, we won't survive in, in the world. I, I don't like Karl Rahner, but one of the things that he did said that say that makes uh, reasonable sense is in the future, meaning in our present, uh, you're only going to survive as, as a Christian if you become uh, a mystic, and, and that means you 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 know faith is not handed to us anywhere. You have to fight for it tooth and nail. Um, okay. Anyways, you uh, so two reasons I wrote the book. One, yes, for the outside to in some small way do my little part in this. Book to, to try to correct some of the obvious blundering biases that, that, that are there and, and persistent uh, about Catholic history, as though the Catholicism were against science or uh, as, as though Catholicism is oppressive towards indigenous peoples and things like this. Uh, for, the, for the inside, though, for, for Christians, whom I assume will be the primary readership of this book, um, it, it's, my, my ambition was to try to help instill confidence Confidence that the church—that is to say, God's presence mediated through time—has has brought innumerable and untold gifts to the West. And if we don't if we don't name those gifts and articulate them and see their origins, uh, those those gifts will fast vanish. And so, for example, all these concepts that we use—you you, talked about Bentley Hart's uh, reference there. Sure, take any take any nice, warm, fuzzy word you want. Uh, let's use human rights. Well, you know, that, isn't that a lovely idea? Yes, it is. Uh, it, it, now, it's, it's become problematized now because human rights is sometimes code for killing your babies. But uh, as a as a doctrine of justice, you only get this idea because of Christianity. The, you know, Muslims don't have a concept of human rights. The, the ancient... Uh, Ancient Asia doesn't have some concept like this. It's it's the West, or you know dignity or equality rightly understood. These are fruits from Christian civilization. Uh, the second, more to your point, you're talking about Whig history, and I assume we have to
1: take a break soon. Yes. Um, Maybe that can be yeah, set okay. up for next one, but we have a minute, so what? go ahead. Okay.
3: Yeah, okay. Well, on, on Whig history, you know, it's it's tricky because on the one hand... Um, the, the concept of Whig history, the possibility, is only there because of Christianity. So in the ancients, the, the, the dominant view is that things are things are worse than they used to be. There right. was a golden age, and now men are, yeah. and women are not quite as good as we once were. Uh, it's only the Church, and because of the Jews, that we've got this idea in the West that history is going somewhere. Uh, and, and so we think there is... And end to time. We think that not everything is the same. New things happen. God acts, and freedom is possible for human beings. So this is a profoundly, deeply uh, held Christian notion. Now, it gets mangled in the 17th and 18th, you know, 18th and 19th centuries, so you get the Whig interpretation on the one hand, and the Marxist version of that. Uh, and the, it seems to me the chief problem with those uh, are, on the one hand, it, you deny original sin, and on the other hand, you deny the afterlife, so it's a good idea, but it has bad interpreters.
1: Well, and and we're going to take a break, like you said. When we get back, that can be where we disentangle some of this stuff. We can go on to your point about um, the controversial parts that people misunderstand, Constantine Galileo, the Crusades. And then we can also really talk about how it is that believing in a future doesn't have to be uh, the same as uh, the, 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 the solid march towards progress, uh, uh, mm-hmm. giving a golden check mark to everything we do uh, yeah. nowadays. So thank right. you so much. That first hour, fantastic. I, I think uh, we, it goes without saying that people want to rejoin us in the second half of the show. So this is The Uncommon Good. Stick around after this break. We'll be back with uh, Bud Marr, myself, and Dr. Ryan Topping. If you have things that you would love to talk about, uh, say thank you to a guest, have ideas, want to tell Jeb uh, that we're going to miss him, but that you have an order for him to pick up in a store in Omaha because we don't have it in Des Moines, uh, you can do that by going to our social media. You can go to Facebook. Uh, just look at uh, Iowa Catholic Radio on Facebook or at IA uh, Catholic uh, Radio on uh, Twitter. Uh, but then, of course, remember that on Iowa Catholic Radio, we want to invite you to wonderful things like December 7th, our dinner in December at Embassy Suites, uh, 101 East Locust, downtown Des Moines. It's 6.30 cocktail hour, 7.15 uh, dinner, and then 8 p.m. our keynote speaker, Dr. Ray Gurindy. If E.W. Hughes, the doctor, is in. If you would like to make reservations, you can go to com slash events, and then you can also look at other things we have going around the diocese. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back after this.
0: Are you struggling with drugs or alcohol? Have the same old programs led you to the same old places? Welcome to St. Gregory Recovery Center, the new standard for recovery. St. Gregory is a faith-based program located just outside of Des Moines. Our unique, non-12-step approach is different than most other programs. We're designed to help you strengthen your body, mind, and spirit. Don't let your addiction define you. It's time to get you excited about life again. For more information, on the phone, 888-724-3342. That's 888-724-3342. Rock Valley Physical Therapy, dedicated to your health and well-being. Serving patient needs to making better lives, we have outstanding outpatient physical therapy, occupational hand therapy, and sports medicine rehabilitation. Rock Valley offers unprecedented one-on-one care. With seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro to the southwest Iowa area, we serve the entire diocese. For more information, rockvalleypt.com or 515-221-1621. Rock Valley Physical Therapy, making better lives.
1: Support for The Uncommon Good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great.
2: Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and delivery are available products are guaranteed
1: or full replacement cartridge world your low-cost environmentally friendly printing experts 801 73rd street in windsor heights 515-564-7400 and online at cartridgeworld.com
0: why give to the catholic tuition organization to help families who want to send their kids to our catholic schools and just can't afford it some donors like to give part or all of their required minimum distribution from their retirement account the 65% Iowa tax credit you receive are a tax benefit you just don't want to pass up. Ask your tax advisor or contact us online ctoiowa.org The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future.
1: We're back with the uncommon good. Mo or Dr. Bud Marr but can you reintroduce our guest for us?
2: Yes, our guest this morning is uh, Dr. Ryan Topping. He's the um, academic dean at Newman Theological College in Edmonton, and his most recent uh, book publication is called The Gift of the Church, How the Catholic Church Transformed the History and Soul of the West. Thanks, Dr. Topping, for being back with us.
3: Yes, thank you for having me.
2: So um, a little bit more of... Uh, Bone Eye's history, we, we both grew up in kind of a Southern Baptist context, but we met mm-hmm. at Duke Divinity School in North Carolina. Oh, yeah. And um, wh- one, thing I, one piece of the book that I really like is that you're willing to tackle what in our own day could be described as, like, controversial topics. And so in your chapter on Constantine, you come right out at the very beginning and say, Constantine the Great. Well, when we were studying at Duke Div, uh, Constantine was not known as being great. In fact, um, mm-hmm. there you'd hear different uh, professors talk about, like, the Constantinian fall of the Church, that with um, right. with Constantine's conversion, Christianity moved from this sort of, like, radical uh, alternative to the dominant culture, to sort of mm-hmm. this kind of, like, comfortable uh, collusion. Uh, and I'm painting in very broad strokes here, but the idea was that Christianity embraced um, and in some cases, like the use of coercion, um, the cross was attached to uh, military conquest, and this was something that um, Christians today like, have to look back on and sort of um, disabuse ourselves of. Uh, could you, for our listeners, give like a fuller picture of, of who Constantine was and how his life impacted... Sure. Uh, the direction of Christiani- Christianity.
1: Yeah, to jump real quick with Bud, <laughs> yep. like I, I never knew that Anabaptist could uh, uh, could could jump you and surround you so fast. You know, they're supposed to be pacifists, but when it comes to these arguments, you know, they're very warlike. Now I'm teasing.
3: <laughs> That's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. all this suppressed rage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. No, so Constantine. Well, he's a he's a complicated figure, and he lived 1600 years ago. So yeah, you know, you're, you're talking about someone. Uh, for whom you don't have all the evidence, and who's a who's a world historical figure like uh, like uh, other great men, uh, yeah. So I think you painted a decent picture of one caricature. Uh, my my uh, my my goal in in discussing Constantine is so this is in a chapter on the early church and some of the fruits that that Christendom uh, had, has handed to us. Well, a lot of these or many of these start from Constantine. Uh, so w- what can I say? Uh, certainly, he's he's not uh, he's not a saint in every respect in, in all of his actions. Um, no. Nonetheless, and, and there's also a question of sources. Well, which which of the sources do we do we uh, trust more than others? Uh, nonetheless, there are a number of facts we can point to which I, I think paint quite a different picture. So Constantine, you know, he converts, and and one of the and he goes on this uh, on on a uh, legis- legislative. Uh, begins a legislative program, so what are the kinds of things that he does? Well, for example, he says prisoners, as was the Roman custom, uh, had their faces uh, sometimes marred or or cut cut up if they were marked if they were uh, uh, deemed worthy of it. Constantine, Constantine says, no more. man bears the divine image, and so his face, no matter what no matter how blackened his heart, his face nevertheless represents to us God. And so you can't you can't deface it you can't uh, you can't destroy it. Prisoners also used to be sent sometimes into blackened rooms. Constancy says no more for the same reason uh, he uh, He will uh, attempt to try to curb abortion and, and uh, initiates legislation that will help poorer people and and uh, offer certain subsidies to certain people at certain time so as to undercut one of the motives for Abortion in the ancient world, which was an economic motive. Uh, one last uh, legislative example I'll give is: is he institutes early on the the Sabbath. The Sabbath becomes a civic holiday in ancient Rome, and it and it remains that for the whole of Christian history, really up until Walmart uh, showed up in your small town and broke broke down all the rules. Um, you know, so up until up until uh, I, I know where I grew up in Saskatoon, which is in Saskatchewan, which is not so far from where you all are, uh, we didn't have shopping on Sundays, and it was only once the big box stores came and were willing to pay the fines and, and uh, threw their weight around that that everyone else capitulated. Well, uh, that really marks the end of uh, of a 1500 year era that was initiated by Constantine. Now, why do you need the Sabbath? The Sabbath principle was given and constantine realized this because it it limits politics it limits the economy it asserts that there's a transcendent order man is 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 facing two directions at the same time always he faces an er- he faces the ground and he faces the heavens there are earthly goods that we need to pursue so you uh, st paul says you don't work you you shouldn't eat every, every Man, woman, child has to has to g- learn, gain their sanctification through exerting effort in this life. So good, but nonetheless, that that earthly good is not a totalizing good. Man is born for contemplation, and our final end is in union with Christ. And so the Sabbath inserts into the into the web of of our of our. Um, Menial tasks. It says, and it says to the boss. It says to the corporate masters. It says to the government. No more. For this one day out of seven, man belongs to his family, to his to his friends, to his neighbor, and most of all to his God. You can't touch him. Well, I think these are pretty good gifts that have been given to us. Uh, I, I, could, I could keep going and talk about um, you know uh, more things about pun- the penal systems in the West and so forth. But I'll, I'll just stop there because I've said a bit.
1: Well, uh, what I I've been on this kick for a while, Bud is probably going to be tired of me bringing this up. Um, but uh, I've been—I always tell people that uh, my people, the Normans, uh, Bonners are Normans, and it makes a lot of sense. I read Norman mm-hmm. history, and I'm like, these are basically my family members in Oklahoma. Uh, uh, the Normans don't exist ethnically until they're made up, and they're made up because there's mm-hmm. just this rollicking band of Vikings uh, that mm-hmm. get Christianized and. We maybe weren't completely Christianized. I don't know how many of us of the old Norman stock are going to be, um, you know, poster Mm -hmm. children for heaven. But I think this goes into something that you'd bring up with the Crusades. People have these very strange ideas. I mean, we live in a society Mm -hmm. that is currently uh, totally helping out someone massacre millions of people in Yemen. Uh, But then we look Mm -hmm. back to the Crusades and go like, can you believe these people who would go fight um, to liberate their Eastern brethren? But what mm-hmm. w- the point that I try to get at is what I mean by the Normans are a gift is there's no other culture that would make this group of people. There's no other culture mm-hmm. that could take maraudering Vikings and convince them to settle mm-hmm. down and then end up being known for their piety at the same time mm-hmm. that they hold together their warlike martial nature. I'm not saying that it's perfect. I'm not saying that mm-hmm. uh, it, it worked out uh, without uh, loads of, of things going on as well. But I think that when people look at the Crusades – they miss actually the sort of uniqueness that you take this this group of barbarian hordes and convince them maybe not to to stop fighting forever but to not stop to not fight on sundays to not fight during easter mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. at least take their sort of martial spirit and try to aim it at helping mm-hmm. the weak
3: yeah that's very good so you the know, canadians have a shot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we've never
3: lost it we've never lost it um <laughs> It, it, true enough. True enough. You no, know, in the Crusades, uh, very eloquently spoken. And if, and if I had uh, the same noble stock as you, I would have, I would have had a chapter on the Normans, no doubt. Uh, so we'll look for a book from you on that soon enough. Um, violence. It, what what the crusading effort does, and and the, the Normans are are part of this certainly, is that the Church takes violence, which is a an impulse within man, and wraps it in a mantle of justice. Mm. So in other words, even in the theater of warfare, the rule of law abides. And the Crusades are, from one point of view, a long exercise in disciplining the West into that habit. Now the carryover for today, the, the, the most evident and obvious one, uh, two of them, one is the the, the development uh, which you know, it comes from the Crusaders vis-a-vis the 16th century, um, is, is the the concept of international law. You know, Genghis Khan did not have a concept of international law. Uh, the Arabs don't have a concept, that is, Muslim uh, Arabs, don't have a concept of international law. It only comes from the West, and it, and it spins out of this crusading effort. Secondly, this idea that um, in in warfare, that the, uh, that the chief use, use of, of strength and of, of military might is... Is to be at the service of justice and to and ultimately to protect the weak and the vulnerable. So, oh yes, if uh, you know, okay, you go into uh, whatever you're you're a marine, you go into some theater of conflict. Well, you you, you, you got to be intellectual. You've got to if you're in a NATO country, if you're a, a a warrior in a NATO military, you've got ROEs. You just can't go kill somebody. You you kill some, but you kill the wrong person, at the wrong time. You're going to jail. You know? Why did we get that idea? Where did it come from? It comes from the West. It comes from the Christian idea of, and, and p- particularly the crusading idea, that there is there is such a thing as a just war. One of the deep problems with, I, I, th- I mean, I don't know, you don't want to talk about, I don't like talking about the papacy so much, but um, in, in, let's say, post-World War II, Vatican di- diplomacy and in uh, papal statements, now there are reasons why the papacy is, Talk this way for the last fifty years, but uh, when when popes are always talking about peace, or when our bishops, with without equivocation, just say that well, peace peace is the option. you Should essentially you never go to war? Well, what does that mean? That means that you leave war to the to the godless. Mm. Uh, if yeah. if you evacuate that space, someone else is going to fill in, and it's going to be a pagan politics, uh, a, a theory of total war in the in the spirit of Klausowitz.
2: Yeah. Well, and then, um, Dr. Topping, another topic that will some, sometimes come up in the classroom alongside these issues is I occasionally encounter students who say, like, well, you know, Jesus sounds like a, a great guy, but um, isn't Christianity in conflict with science? And sometimes when this topic is broached, my students will bring up something like um, a Darwinian evolutionary theory, but there's there's also some sort of, like, I, I guess, popular myths surrounding the Galileo affair, which is another... Mm -hmm. event that you tackle in your book. And I know Mm -hmm. Galileo, like Constantine, is a very complex figure, and we probably can't do Mm -hmm. um, full justice Mm -hmm. to what took place there, but I guess to put the question in kind of a pointed way, was the Mm -hmm. Church's response to Galileo's writings a a rejection of scientific inquiry?
3: (laughs) Well, manifestly not. Uh, The (laughs) Jesuits, long before Galileo, had the first at the first observatories in, in Europe, uh, astronomy is a Jesuit science sometimes called it 's because it 's the Jesuits who were first and most lovingly and devotedly involved in it um, the, the Galileo was a close friend of the Pope. Uh, the reason why he got in trouble in part was because Galileo was a bit of an uh, you know, a difficult character and he he essentially uh, forced an issue that no one wanted to deal with and he, and he forced it. Uh, by claiming that his conclusions were were certain, and therefore the way certain passages in scripture had been traditionally interpreted need to be needed to be allegorized well it, uh, all the leading thinkers at the time all uh, conceded this that if you um, like borromeo if you if you if there were a conflict between something that is evidently known about the material world and a passage in scripture, well then. Then, our interpretation of that scripture has to be modified it, it needs to be understood in a different sense so uh, that that was never the conflict per se but he he insisted that certain of his conclusions were were certain uh, and, uh, before in fact anyone else in the scientific community agreed with him that they were certain so uh, yeah Gal- Galileo is a bit of a difficult case, and um, I mean you know you really do need to get into some of the details to make a credible um, give a you know a fair account of what happened and, and there were there were I think uh, quite quite uh, truth, truthfully, I think there were prudential mistakes made. But you know, the problem is, if anyone ever wants to talk about the church's resistance to science, well, how many examples are there possible? It, Galileo is really the only <laughs> the only example that is ever brought up. Maybe you could talk about uh, Darwinian evolution, although that that's never been a problem for the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, as long as you understand evolution, in in uh, as long as you don't reduce it to Final, sorry, reduce final causality to efficient causality. In other words, as long as you don't try to get rid of God um, in, in, the, in the theory, which you couldn't do if it were, you know, a, a scientific theory can't, doesn't have that purview. Um, Catholics have never really had a problem with, with describing the mechanism of God's creation in, in a variety of different ways. So, um, anyways... I think I think that's all I want to say about Galileo.
2: Well, uh, this is something that I've come to a little bit later in my own sort of research. But would you th- would you say it's fair to say that the church, kind of our church leaders, pressed him to almost provide more evidence for what he was claiming to be the case?
3: Yes. Well, <clears throat> okay. So they um, they did. They they wanted. There was a gentleman's agreement. So long before Galileo, yeah. uh, that is to say, at least a generation, you have you have another priest, scientist, essentially claiming the same things about the structure of the, of the solar system uh, and, and the relationship between the sun and, and the earth and, and, and so forth. So it, it was another Catholic, and Galileo himself lived and died a Catholic, his, his, one of his daughters, as a, as a devoted sister, mm. for example. Um, yeah, so no, other peop- Galileo wasn't the first to come up with most of his ideas. Other Catholics had long... Uh, named them, or at least within the last hundred years or so. But what Galileo did that other people didn't do is he, chiefly, is he said we know this now as a matter of fact, and not merely as a matter of postulated theory, which
2: yeah.
3: uh, which others did. So, yeah, Galileo, in some sense, is brilliant as a scientist. In other sense, he's a he's a disaster. You know, he's, he's far too arrogant. Um, some of his claims were not really observed or. Uh, our, our, our instruments didn't develop far enough to observe some of his claims until uh, I don't know two hundred years after his death.
1: You know, uh, we we are getting to the end of the interview here, but what what this brings to mind for me is um, if you read enough Italian history, <laughs> when you read Galileo, you go like, "Oh, mm-hmm. this is Italians of, at the time fighting," uh, but we we have the sort of mist of the black legend. With the yeah. respect to mm-hmm. the Whig history, right? So we go, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. this huge conflict, and you're like, huge conflict. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one yeah, got beheaded, with- right? I mean, like no one was yeah. poisoned. This is this actually worked out pretty well. Um, he, he,
3: he did he did do well. He was confined to uh, live with live in a palace for yeah. part of his last years. So I would
1: take in- that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, not bad. <laughs> so I think sometimes <laughs> what's funny like to to wrap this up is we on one hand we have a view of history that is impossible for the past to ever live up to, right? Um, you know, mm-hmm. because like... Uh, but then on the other hand, we have this view of history that is just farcical, right? That, 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 that even in now, we act like there is less conflict than there actually is. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what's funny about how we deal with all this is on one hand, we're not willing to let history be messy enough, uh, you know, to, mm-hmm. yeah. to, to how Hopkins uh, says, right, to to bear man's smell, right? Uh, we, we, we want it to be more compartmentalized. Um, but on the other hand, uh, we're, it, it's like they try to play two sides of the coins on us. And I think that if there's another gift you're... Book can give, and to give you the last word to wrap up is um, that we don't have to book like it's the same coin to not see history as as messy and involved in human affairs, but then also to try to act like there's no connection between it at all. That there's a different way mm. to look at our past, and it seems to me that's what your book is trying to get at.
2: Mm.
3: Okay. Yes. Thank you. Well, God, God risked, uh, God risked a great deal when he dropped into messy man's history, and so there should be no. Um, no surprise that God's perpetual purpose Perpetuating presence through time Namely through the church Is likewise going to be messy
1: Well we appreciate you so much coming out. This has been a, 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 a not only an informative talk It's been a blast It's been a lot of fun um, Do you mind telling people Where they could uh, find find your work If they want to read further In uh, this great work that you're doing
3: Is so it where they can
1: buy the book? Yeah and then I don't know oh, If you had a website or anything You wanted to send them to
3: Oh yeah no I don't I guess I have a little bit of a website, but um, no, I think the the place to look would be you know at your bookstore or on Amazon, or uh, this one is published by Tan Books. This is volume one of a two-volume set. Volume one, this one, looks at uh, church's history through time and the church's influence in the West. Volume two, which God willing will come out within uh, within a year or so, it, it takes a, a look at various domains, so it digs deeper. Chapters are on architecture, on literature, on painting, on music. I even have one on movies, etc. cetera. So uh, thanks very much for having me on.
2: Well, folks, I really encourage everyone to check out Dr. Topping's book, The Gift of the Church. And uh, Dr. Topping, I know you and I touched bases about a year ago, and I'm really glad that uh, it eventually worked out where we could get you on because, uh, like Bo said, it's been a real blessing. And so we appreciate it, and uh, prayers of blessing on all your work. Thank you. I
3: appreciate that, and thanks for your good work that you're doing. A, a Thank real, you. Take care. Service to, to others. Bye-bye.
1: Okay. Well, folks, this is The Uncommon Good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our cities, in our state, in a, well, in our hearts, our families, our city, states, uh, nation, world, galaxy, the whole kit and caboodle. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back next week. <laughs> But like we said before, uh, we're really gearing up for this dinner in December. Friday, December 7th, 2018. Yep. Um, I think you can't be there, but we're going to make a hologram like Tupac, right? You're going to be there. No, I'm kidding. That would
2: to- totally freak people out. Yeah, they probably just- wouldn't think Tupac. <laughs> they would think, like, first scene of um, uh, Macbeth. Or oh, Hamlet. yeah, yeah. I don't
1: know. Okay, or Ghostbusters. It depends on yeah. how good the hologram <laughs> is, yeah. Um, so 6.30 p.m. cocktail hour, 7.15 Dinner, 8 p.m. keynote speaker in the flesh, not a hologram. I just want to repeat in the flesh. Dr. Ray Gurendi of EWTN's The Doctors In. Um, tickets are on sale. You can RSVP online, iowa slash events, or call 515 223 1150. But um, if they, if, and this, this is everybody, you can do this, of course, in Iowa if you listen over the airwaves, but you can listen online if they want to be a part of the programming of Iowa Catholic Radio. Um, what are ways that they can get involved?
2: Well, with daylight the way that it is now, I know all of our listeners are going to bed at like 7.30 p.m., so you should be able to wake up at 5 to, to hear, uh, read the Catholic Bible in a year with Jim Lyons and Gene Wells, and then that transitions right into the rosary, gospel reflection, and then at 9.30 p.m. there's rosary and gospel reflection again, so a lot of opportunities for prayer.
1: And of course, not only, uh, do we ask that you're, for your prayers, we ask for you to listen, um, but being part of Iowa Catholic Radio, where we have the ministry of Jesus Christ, uh, that can, penetrate walls through the radio waves and is on 24, seven hour, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, it's a ministry that you're a part of and how you can be a part of it, not only pray for us, uh, but also if you feel it in your heart to uh, give tax-free donations, uh, you can do so on iowacatholicradio.com or again, 515-223-1150. We're still very thankful for the fall carathon, but as always, uh, we sustain our ministry by your sustaining gifts and we appreciate everything that our listeners and our donors do for us. Like I said the uncommon good uh, you can look on us on, uh, for the aha uh, look for us online on Facebook Twitter uh, and then um, you can sign up for the email uh, that is uh, twice a, a month and keep on track with everything folks we appreciate it and we'll see you next week
0: The uncommon good with Bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcasts. Just search for the uncommon good.